0: They can get a cheerleader a lot cheaper than me. They're getting a lawyer who will give them the good news and hopefully will help them deal with the bad news. Learn from those who come before you. you got to know another
1: lawyer. you got to invite an older lawyer to lunch. I never, when I videotape a defendant, say, tell me about your educational background. All I'm looking for in Deposition of Defendant is what it is I want to start my case with.
0: It isn't about your war with that lawyer, it's about your war with injustice and your war for justice. And I'd say don't be worried about how you can maximize
1: your fee in any one given deal. Think about the long run. Think about the the big picture and think about your reputation long term. This is Wisdom on Trial, impacting your life and law practice. Today's guest is uh, my friend, Keith Mitnick. He is uh, an FSU law school graduate and uh, one of the lead trial lawyers at Morgan & Morgan. He's tried over 200 jury trials with verdicts of 90 million and 40 million and 27 million and and lots of small cases too. Keith is really uh, generous with his wisdom and brainstorming. I, I remember years ago, I was trying to figure out the right questions to ask in jury selection in a malpractice case. And I called Keith on his cell phone. He took my call and he said, I'm going to have to go in a second because uh, I'm walking through the courthouse security. He was literally right in the middle of another trial, took my call on his cell phone. And that just gives you a little picture of Keith's generosity. He is uh, the author of the book, Don't Eat the Bruises. I think you'll really enjoy this. I am uh, I'm so glad to be in the Morgan & Morgan courtroom with uh, Keith Mitnick. Keith, you are uh, by far uh, the most generous person with your knowledge and experience. And well, we'll start on sharing with your book, Don't Eat the Bruises, which I have read and I have gifted, and I have pages that are highlighted and thumb-eared. If you were to give just kind of a capsule summary of that book, what would it be?
0: what It really distills down to this. And funny, you ask that because it fits right into John Robertson. When, as a young lawyer, I'd run off to a deposition. I'd come back and tell him, oh, something terrible happened, they said this, and inevitably he would say, "Metnek, that's not a bad fact, that's a good fact. And I'd look at him like he was crazy and he'd start to tell me. Now look, some of the times it still was a bad fact, but it sounded a lot less bad when he was done. And a lot of times he was right. And I got to where I'd be embarrassed to come back with, a, so I started at very young going, all right, why why maybe isn't this so bad. And that was ingrained in me. Now I'm fast forward to writing don't eat the bruises. At its core what it really is about is this. It's very easy to say here are my good facts. And I'm going to I'm going to put them together in the best light possible. But what I think it skipped a lot is how can I swallow whole the defense's case and leave them nothing. Because if you can do that, now not only are you putting up good facts, you taking away the resistance on the other side, and your chances of winning go way up. So a lot of it was born out of that, that's really a good fact. And what I realize is, I'm going to distill it down to real simple. You have to destroy their case in opening, and you have to keep that momentum going. It's easier said than done, because if you focus so much on taking their case down, you end up trying their case and you sound like you got a yes. sorry case you have to make too many excuses for, and you just can't do that. But if you don't take it down, they get up and say, boy, I thought you had a good case there, but when were you going to tell me about this? And further, they believe it must be true or you to commented on it. So. All of it came down to us over the years, recognizing that tension. How do I destroy as best I can their case without trying their case and staying on the high ground of my case? And all of that was just years of of working the process and coming up with systems in which you can stay on the high ground, never convert to their case, try your case, but recognize there are ways to take away from them their favorite points and favorite facts.
1: How many trials have you had? Like if you were to, you don't need to be precise, you're not under, just ballpark.
0: Gotta be around 200. I had to do something for some form and it's been quite a few years ago when it was well north of 100 and I've had a whole bunch since then. So it's probably pushing two, but I haven't added it since then. It's a whole bunch.
1: Since you've been journeying more seriously with this concept of not eating the bruises, embracing putting in context the negative sides of the case. Have you seen a change oh, in yeah. terms of the outcome?
0: Yeah, this whole system, The really my book has, two, has several chunks. Probably the most distinguishing fact of it is what I call winning at the beginning. And it is how to master the art of using challenges for cause to get rid of biased jurors and give you a, a, a level playing field because rarely do we have enough peremptory challenges and we have to be very skilled with the use of challenges for cause so that we can make sure we don't have biased jurors to sign our case that's the first phase of winning at the beginning the second is all this having a winning opening recognizing you don't get a rebuttal in opening and They're going to make points, and it's never good enough to pat yourself on the back at the end of your closing and then go to the bathroom and come back, and then everyone's saying, man, that was great. And now it's lunchtime, and they're done, and you're hanging your head down, moping, saying, I can't wait to prove how wrong that is. That's not a good opening. And jurors' minds get made up right about then. It's only good enough when you pat yourself on the back when they're done with their opening.
1: If you weren't a lawyer, what would you be doing?
0: Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's all I know. It's it's strange. Have you
1: always wanted to be a lawyer?
0: Yes, but here's the odd part: people think I must have had a lawyer in my family, or a cousin, or a friend, or somebody friend of the families. I did not know a single lawyer. We had no lawyers in anywhere in our family, distant or 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 close. Um, and my mom, who was a guidance counselor over in Lake County at Mount Dora High, somehow got a hold of a. Elementary school, something from a, one of my guidance counselors in elementary, I don't know what they do in elementary school, but, or maybe it was just like a vice principal, somebody, they had something where they had these what you wanted to do questions. And my mom showed me years later, honey, look at this. She had in a full file folder. Back in elementary school, I said, I want to be a lawyer. And I don't ever remember not wanting to be a lawyer. I remember in high school, I'm going to law school, I'm going to law school, middle school, I just go to law school. In undergrad, I'm going to law school. It was just never a question. And I, other than I love Perry Mason, and maybe that was it. And I read a book one time. It was a really good book called um, The Magician, I think, where some bully kept bullying this kid, and he was a little small kid, and he finally beat the kid half to death. And the defense, criminal defense lawyer, came along, and He ended up getting a not guilty. And it was just devastating injustice. And then the little kid had had enough and he took karate classes. And the bully, about a year later, he let everything cool down, came after again for having gone to the police and putting him through all that. And the kid now was ready and hit him with his palm in his nose and pushed his cartilage back and the guy died. And the book ended, and the family hated that lawyer. The book ended with them calling the defense lawyer to represent their kid. And I remember thinking, I hated that lawyer, but how cool is that? And I hate bullies. That was one of the first real books I read, other than you know, kitty books and comics. So I don't know, but something said it, and I've just always wanted to do it. And I look at it now, honestly, people say, how can you go to so many trials? And you know what I say? I am so average at life. I'm a good husband. I'm a pretty good dad, and I'm a nice guy. But skill sets, I can't golf. I quit golfing because nobody wanted me. I slowed everybody down. I bought a guitar, I mean it's embarrassing. I tried to sing, and nobody wants to hear it. I, I go in the bathroom to make it sound better and I couldn't take it. And it's like, I'm really average at most of life. The skill set of life, not the human side. I would not say that, I'm not, I hope I'm a good man. But the skill set of life, I think I'm very average. I'm not average in a courtroom. And I say to people, why would I not want to be in the courtroom? I just feel better about myself. I'm doing something I was blessed that I'm good at. I want to do it all the time. So if I'm in a lull and I go a month without a trial, which is unusual, I'm in one now. I'm really looking forward to this trial. I'm dying to go in part because I just want to go feel better.
1: (laughs) Sounds like it's almost therapy for you. It
0: is therapy for me. I, it just where I belong. I just it was something God gave me, and I want to do it, and as many times I can. And you know when I'll quit? And I've told my wife this, and she would she absolutely's on board. When I start losing my edge, you know how sharp you got to be in a court, and God, David, you know things happen so fast, and your your instincts have to be razor sharp. and if and I've heard stories of lawyers who went on beyond their prime, and people say, man, it's a shame he was used to be so good. I'm never gonna be that guy. And I said, when it starts happening, sit me, which by the way at some point during this I'd like to talk about younger lawyers that are nervous because that's a part of it that's a part of it
1: let's let's do it right now
0: okay Um, we've all been there performance anxiety and we know you can have the sharpest mind you don't need to be a 30-year trial lawyer to have a brilliant mind a practical mind to be a decent nice person an honest person a person of integrity in front of the jury—you don't. That's not experience. That's a human being. Performance anxiety chokes you. I'd said about the guitar. I actually got—I put it down. I've given it up like golf. But I had—I did it for a while, just self-taught, and I could get to where I could strum some chords and do a little finger picking and, and sing some simple Jimmy Buffett song that was the range of you know your vocal range was like three notes, and um, and and not sound good, but not be embarrassing, and. Then my, I'd say, come here, I want to play you something. The minute she walked in the room, my fingers got tight, my voice got bad, and I could not perform, it. I'm thinking, God, I sounded so much better before. It's performance anxiety. Same thing in a courtroom. And lawyers, young lawyers in particular, feel the heat of it. And here's a, a message for them. I actually have two messages for them. One of them is the part that happens before you go in court, this outsmarting part where you sit down and really think about it. The wisdom of the wise. Why are we right? Why are they wrong on every single significant point of contention? And if we're wrong on one, why are we right overall? And really thinking about it and thinking what analogies can make that point? What are the right words to capture this? What are the right winning questions I can frame it around for the jury so they get it? You know where all that happens? Outside of the bright lights of the courtroom. It's a thing of beauty. There is no stress. It's pure fun. Even when you get experienced, trials aren't pure fun. There's a moment of elation followed by a moment you want to run outside and, you know, throw up. It doesn't, there's no old high during trial. There's no down because all you're doing is working your ideas and you're sharing them with your wife or your husband or, or your friends. And you're and you got one that's brilliant, that turns out stupid. Guess what? It didn't hurt anything. Who cares? And you fine-tune it, and you get it there. You know what that is? It's the joy of practicing law. Some of the most joyful parts I have, I carry those problems around like puzzles. Why do you think people sell buy so many newspapers? Half the people buy them for the crosswords and the sadukas. It's fun. People love puzzle solving. This is puzzle solving. It's fun. I carry them in my head. You know when I do them? I can be in a conversation with someone who will never shut up kind of like I'm doing now, who will never shut up, and I'm bored. I'm fine. They think I'm the best listener in the world. I'm working a problem. I'm solving a puzzle. I can be on my back porch solving a puzzle. I can be on the elevator. I can be in the car, you know, bored to tears. There is no moment where I have nothing to do because I always have them with me. I'm suggesting to people that are young lawyers, you can do that right now. Yes. And you can do it exceptionally. Now, walk into the courtroom. All that matters once you walk in, you have the right game plan because you spent that time outside of the stress of court where your mind was free to run at full capacity. Now I'm in the courtroom and I'm not at full capacity because I can't just say quit being nervous. It doesn't work like that. But you know what I can always do, no matter how nervous? I can have integrity. I can shoot straight. I can be vulnerable. Charles will like you for it as long as it's sincere vulnerability. And at the end of the day, you brought the winning package, and when you start to freeze, it's okay. Because you know what? It ain't about being pretty. And I don't mean having the best hairdo. I'm talking about performing pretty. We want to do it pretty in court. We want the, the bailiff and the judge and, and the audience to go, wow. And you ought to want it. But you're not going to win over the wow. You win over the integrity and the plan you put together before you walked in.
1: That's really good.
0: And by the time you get where it's pretty, you're not going to win any more cases. You can win just as many as you were. It will be different when you're younger. It'll just look better. So give yourself peace of mind. It ain't about being pretty.
1: How do you deal with that moment? Cause I, I, I I'm sure you'd like it to look pretty, right? Sure. I do too. Uh, when you know it's not, when myself. it's ugly, you know, oh, what I, I mean, it's just I'm ugly and, and you feel naked, you're in the oh. courtroom and it's just, you feel like, like everybody knows you're an idiot and it feels like a, how, how do you walk out of that feeling?
0: <laughs> I can tell you, I always say to people, I'm my own biggest fan. And I'm a worst critic, and I spend a lot more time kicking myself in the behind than I do patting myself in the back. I am a hard on myself. I expect it to be superb everything, and it's not. And all I know is, I walk out of the courtroom, I feel so disappointed in myself. I feel embarrassed. And usually it isn't all that bad. Yeah. It not like I stung it up. I hope I don't stink it up anymore. But I, it is like well, I, I, you, I know people are gonna. that wasn't his best. <laughs> and to but, me, that's no. So what do I do to get out of it? I said, give me tomorrow. <laughs> give me another witness.
1: Yeah, just, just give me another shot. Get the next Put me back in the game, coach. Yes. Let's
0: do it again. That's all I know. In fact, I will say this on a broader scope. Losing. Losing. It's part of it. And if you get scared of losing, you can't do it. There's a difference between despising losing and being scared. The despising it is motivating. Fear freezes you. Frozen in fear.
1: What's the difference? So,
0: in the difference is this I don't want it to happen. I'm going to do everything in my power to not let it happen. But I'm not going to be so concerned with it that it scares me because I'm going to be honest with myself. It's going to happen happen. Even if I do everything right, some juror's going to sneak in who was a leader who I didn't realize was bad, and they're going to lead the charge, and I'm going to lose. Or my client's going to turn out on the stand I thought was going to be great, turn out to look like a liar. I don't have any control. All kinds of stuff can happen. You're going to lose. Be prepared. Don't be ready to accept it. You know, la, la, I don't care. That's horrible. I don't want it. I'm going to feel miserable when it happens, but I know it's going to happen, and it's not going to be the end of the world. That's why you don't have fear. So then how do you heal after a loss? Because it is lacerating to yes. the bone. You know that. This is what heals me. And the only things ever heal me. Trying to figure out how to minimize feeling this way again. I know I won't eliminate it. And it's usually not, boy, I screwed this up. At this point in my career, there are not a lot of those. But it's a, what could I have done better? What what strategies are out there so that they didn't, they ran away with this little angle and I let them get ahead and I never could catch up. So I heal by the art of outsmarting. I carry those puzzles around sometimes for fun and sometimes like salve. And I start thinking, what kind of, and next thing I'm like, I got an idea, I got, I quit thinking about it because now I'm so invested in coming up with something positive to minimize the chances of feeling like this again.
1: This doesn't have to be the practice of law. It can be whatever. What is the greatest failure or regret or loss you've had?
0: Well, I can tell you the greatest loss in a courtroom, and it's not one, I, I hate to say. But I, I I sue cigarette companies and I've never felt every client I've ever represented seemed like it mattered a lot. I've never had something feel so important beyond the client. So globally significant and to lose to those guys, it just rips your heart out.
1: How I felt the, the weight. and I I felt the loss. How did you, on the heaviest of that, walk out of that?
0: Deeply wounded. It 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 was a time I couldn't just let my normal years of processes just take over. I had, I mean, I was down. I mean, I got up the next morning, and I didn't want to be alive. I thought, how am I going to go the next month with this? We didn't have another one coming against them for six months. And I got a sweet wife who says, you're, it's a good fight. If not you, who? You can't win them all. And are you going to let it eat you up so much you can't do it? And then and what, what good would that be? And I said, you're right. And I'm ashamed of them. You're right. Um, and then I started bucking up for her. So she didn't start thinking I was someone I was a weakling, <laughs> you know, and then, and then you get busy. Then I had another trial. It wasn't a tobacco trial and sunk my teeth into it and it gave you some distance.
1: You feel stronger having gone through that?
0: No question. Yeah. You know, it's just like people that go through the Marines or boot camp of some kind. I played football and I look out at that heat. Now, if I got to walk out to my car and it's hot, I'm, I'm feeling so sorry for myself. I just, I can't believe I'm having to walk in this heat. And I think about those two days and the uniforms and hours and that. And, you know, certain things in life just toughen you up, and it toughenings good. And I thought, I think even late in a career, it toughened me some.
1: Your uh, partner John Morgan, there is, uh, I mean, clearly no greater. Uh, innovator thinker businessman that I've encountered in the field of law even beyond law and I don't want to leave here as someone who I know has his inside ear and is close in his inner circle what are a couple of the nuggets of wisdom that you've learned walking with John
0: well I can say this and not just a you know suck up and shine it's just a fact Um, He's got the most brilliant mind, and I've been around some smart people. He's got the most brilliant mind that can translate raw, really stunning mind into practical. I've never seen anyone has both so well. And I've never seen anybody that thinks big and then just does it. He just does it. Most, we all think big. But he says next, I, he was going to build an upside-down house. And I remember him talking about drawing on some napkin, and, and I thought it's the wackiest thing I ever heard. And now he's got Wonderworks, and they're all over the country. He's making a fortune. And it's like he thinks it, he sees things other people don't see, and then next thing it happens. Um, and I could give you 100 of those examples. So The executing he Just is, make it yes, happen. Yes. He does not talk a good game. He just goes and does it. Yes. Now, he's so smart about it, he rarely misses when he swings at the ball, but he's not scared to swing at the ball.
1: One of the things I've been asking that I think is is helpful is, um, I know you had good mentorship, I had great mentorship. There is an element of what, what makes a person a good mentee. In other words, what does it look like so that you're the kind of person that someone like Keith Mitnick would say... I'm willing to invest my time, my energy, my life in you. Or And so what are a few of the traits of lawyers you've seen who are good mentees that they make you want to invest in them?
0: Sure. That's a great question. I've never been asked that in my life. Um, I'm trying to think of the people I work with that I just really can't wait to help some more with. And, and I guess what that, those traits would be they, they got a natural talent base. I'm happy to help all of them. But you both, we all know there are people that you're gonna teach, they're gonna do a lot with it, and there are people you're gonna teach, you're gonna try hard, and they're just got ceilings. It's like in, they, everybody can't be a superstar in any field. So if I see a real skill set there, it doesn't make it any more important to me because I'm gonna give it all to any of them, but there's a little more um, excitement on my part because I see the upside to it and you love to see that flower uh, grow um, the other thing is they listen intently mm. not nodding like okay and but they're really thinking about who's winning in the NCAA tournament they're really into it into it's probably the, the most simple way to put it they're into it they got the passion the hunger for it but they're not they're sponges but they're also not scared to talk back to you. And I don't mean talk back sassy. I mean, you say so-and-so and so-and-so, and -and and they say back to you, okay, but what about? And you say, wouldn't you worry about? I love when they say, don't you worry about. Meaning they're thinking of, there's this facet to what I just said that could backfire. And they're not only have thought about it, they've got enough self-confidence to say to the old man, what about? And I go, good question, bud, or lady. Let me tell you why I don't worry about it. And then they go, oh. Or I go, hell, I think you got a point there. So, so, so I'm
1: hearing listen well and don't be afraid engage to in engage in the process. Engage in the, engage process. In the yes. process
0: to show me you're getting it too. Because if all you do is take and you don't give, it didn't work
1: Let me get very practical. And what I want is kind of just uh, uh, bullet points on different areas. So uh, a paragraph, two or three sentences on different topics of what advice you would give.
0: Depositions. In taking a deposition, here's what I believe in. Number one, writing down everything the person says to me I've never understood says. That's why we got a court order. Now, I have a legal pad. Here's what I do. I take a legal pad. And I don't take a lot of depositions anymore. All I do is try the cases occasionally, and unusual I will. But look, i spent a lifetime doing plenty of them. I would spend a lot of time thinking about what is it I need to know that I don't know? What do I need to pin down that I think I know? And I just want to make sure there's no wiggle room. And what might I get out of this that is going to help me in my opening statement and cross-examination? That's the number one goal, the general gathering The nailing down, they're important. But the real reason you're there is I want to extract some either admissions or things they've said that are utterly unbelievable so I can stand up and open and say, let me tell you what this guy's going to say. Or let me tell you, even he admits. And I know I've got ammo for cross. That's why you take an adverse witness's deposition to me. So I have my list of topics. And then I have a blank legal path. And that's all I bring, unless, you know, you got records or depots, but those are my notes. This one, I do not follow that script. I don't have a script for it. I don't know what, how it's going to go. I don't know which direction it's going to go. I don't know what personality this person's going to have. So I get in the room, and I make a quick assessment, and then I have a blank legal pad. And then I decide I'm going to ask him. Sometimes I want to talk like most people do for a while before we get to the important stuff so they kind of forget the coaching they got before they walk in the room. But other times, I'm this guy's nervous, and I'm going to ask him the good stuff right away, but I'm going to come at it in a way they didn't prep for. I'm going to think of a unique way to question about it where he's going to go, I know this is that thing and I'm supposed to, but that, he didn't ask what he, they said he was going to ask. See if I can not catch him and get him tripping up and saying the truth. Not tripping up and saying something that honestly they didn't mean to say. That's no good. I let him off the hook all the time for that because it's a pursuit of the truth, not trickery. But trick them into admitting something they really didn't want to have to admit. And so whatever, I start, and then I go with where it goes. Now, you know what this pad's for? When that person says something. And I don't want to interrupt them, but by gosh, I want to come back to it. I make a note. Or that person says something, and I want to keep going, and I don't want to leave off and forget where I went, but I want to interrupt. I make a note. It's my – because how many times have you read somebody else's depot? Or heck, your own. And I've got it, and I go, oh, my God, he's leading up to this. This is going to be so important. And they go off on a tangent and never come back. And you're like, no. No. It's my staying on track on that subject. When I finish the subject, I go flip through my stuff and say, oh, here's another one I want to ask. And before I go, I can say, look, I'm at a point, it's really good, I don't need any more, and I say, one second. I look at my notes and there's nothing here. Oh, I want to do this one more, I'm out of here. So I have basically a checklist. So my best advice is don't be quite so scripted. But for goodness sake, don't come in and wing it. You will go home and kick yourself in the butt. Have a list of I better cover these or I'm going to hate myself subjects. And then engage in the conversation with some forethought as to what do I want? What am I after? What am I going to gain by this witness? And don't be scared to stop when it's time to stop.
1: Yes. As somebody who picks up other people's Uh, litigated case, somebody else has litigated it sometimes for years, and then they bring you in to try it. If you were to say the single biggest, most common mistake without naming any lawyers that you see in terms of lawyers who are litigating cases up to the point before trial.
0: Two things. It's not one, it's two. They're very related. Not following through they will come out of a depot, and the person says, I don't, know, I don't know, I'd have to go look at the records. They send an interrogatory, right thing to do, so we can get that answer we need. Objections. No motion to compel.
1: Leaving open Leave holes. Leaving open holes. Yes.
0: Or a depot. They head down a path, they distract, they never came back and finished. Not finishing the loop, leaving holes that you were heading down and you didn't get there. That almost bothers me worse than they never even thought about it, because I'm, 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 as I'm looking through and preparing, I think I'm going to get it, and I'm going to get it, and then it's not there. And It's like, oh, come on. Um, that's that's the, the, the primary one. And the other one is probably more in court on cross-examination, but I see it in depositions too, and that is not listening. Being so wrapped up in your question, you're not listening to the answer. And I see lawyers who keep in deposition, keep going back at something when the person's really already answered it and it was a good answer and you kept fooling around with it till you got a bad answer. Or they got what they clearly thought was the answer and moved on and it sounded like an answer, but it was no answer at all. It was ambiguous. And they didn't say, I hear you, but because I know what they were doing. They were looking at the next question.
1: What's the biggest piece of technology that currently is impacting your life in a positive way?
0: Uh, I would say two things: Transcript Pad. I love Transcript
1: Pad. So good. I
0: see you not. not so good. It. And to those of you that don't know it, here's the frustrating thing: you got you can't use it on anything but your iPad, and so you don't bother trying to put it on your phone or on your com- laptop. It's only iPad. I don't know why they don't expand it. They must have a deal with iPad. But in any event, it's by the same people that do trial pad but they have a separate app for transcript pad and you have to have it in txt form and that it won't work if it's in a pdf so make sure court reporters put all of the transcript in that txt or ascii form and then you load it onto the computer and then you can press the scroll button and you can go through the depth and it'll actually scroll for you or you can hand scroll it up on the screen and when you get to something of interest you click over in the margin on the on the line number and where it ends, you click again, and it will pop a screen up for you in which you can then write in a subject matter. And then you move down, and the next thing is the same subject. Now it pops it up, and it has the list of your subject matter. you it to re- it. It,
1: it really is incredible. And, and you can it, use it for depot designations, uh, I use it anything pre- like that. Yes. And
0: here's the real beauty, preparing for cross. I now have all these subjects. I have the entire deposition. All the waste has not been highlighted. The substantive stuff is subject matter tagged. Then you print a report and you get a report that takes just the stuff you highlighted and everything under that subject is all under that topic. And And the next, and the next. The other one, because I I believe words matter, word flex, F-L-E-X, word flex. And I don't own any stock in either of those, I wish I did.
1: Dealing with judges, best piece of advice.
0: Respectful, eliminate from your vocabulary with all due respect. Judges hear that, and they know the next word out of your mouth is going to be disrespectful. Um, And you can see them bristle. You can say, Judge, I don't mean to offend you. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but honestly, I disagree. Just don't use that old catchphrase because they've heard it so many times and they don't like it. But please don't ever forget this. It's your case. It's their courtroom, technically. But I believe judges respect if you will with true respect, not a catchphrase, but with true respect, disagree when you're really right and fight for what's right. I don't think many of them, they may get a little bit out of shape because they're wanting to move on, but if they know you're not just being pigheaded and you're doing it and you genuinely respect the idea of that robe and their role in the process, but you have a role to play too, and you really, really believe you're right, then by gosh, don't be a coward. Just don't be a, don't be a sassy, smart aleck. There's no place for it. How about
1: dealing with impossible opposition? In other words, opposing counsel is just grating, uh, lying, cheating, thieving, all that stuff. Best advice you have for dealing with that?
0: As best you can. Don't bait in. Don't get sucked into personal war because they're winning. It isn't about your war with that lawyer. It's about your war with injustice and your war for justice. And if you spend all your time hating that guy or that lady and wanting to teach them a lesson and arguing them in the hall and then with your partners all dinner instead of plotting what you're going to do and planning the next day, all you do is gripe about what they did. Look, you go gripe for a few minutes, then put it away and move on.
1: Yes. Okay. I want to talk to you for some advice for two different groups. Uh, The first is a group they're 25 to 35, they're practicing law, uh, they haven't quite fully hit their stride, but they're they're engaged in it. What advice would you give them? What, what do you know now that you wish you knew back then?
0: I would say for that group of people, the most important thing I wished I'd have known back then I didn't know was I didn't understand how to get rid of Jurors that had a bias. And you need to learn that art. I didn't understand at that point in my career just how important opening statements were and that the cases won and lost there. Um, and how important it is to think about the totality of opening, not just your half of it. And how's the jury going to feel after the whole process of both sides go? Um, and to think about those kinds of things. best advice I can give from a more global perspective is find the part of what we do that you love most and love it to death. Because it's hard. I mean, there's no I've said to lawyers all the time, people think, oh, you got a fancy car, and you know, you just got a silver tongue and get all this. They don't know. <laughs> You know, they don't know the price we pay with our heart and our soul and the time and our families. If you know we're not careful, uh, you know the time how people can and leave out chunks of time with children and wives and and, and or husbands if they're women. And it's it is an all-consuming kind of thing. And you better love it because if you're doing it like that and you're grumbling about it most of the time honestly, it isn't worth it. If you don't have a passion for it, don't do it. And if you do, spend time praising the passionate side of it. So it's a glorious thing, not a burden.
1: Let's take a, a, a second group of people. Um, they're, we'll say, 40 to 55. Um, they're in the uh, they're through the initial part of their career, uh, their practice is going well, but they still have plenty of gas left in to use the metaphor we talked about earlier. Um, they're not a freshman, they're not a sophomore, they're probably a junior. Um, but they still have two more full seasons to go. What advice would you give them?
0: My advice to those, that group is the best yet to come. Mm. And one of the things that I, I've said this many times, when I was a junior, I wouldn't have said when I was a junior, but at that point in my career, every year at the end of the year, I'd think, "You've really figured this out, buddy. You are really a tough lawyer." And about that time next year, I go, "You weren't shit last year." <laughs> I would, and I love that. There's a dynamic. Who would want to say, I got it all figured out now and I'm just going to do it for the next 25 years? There is a joy to, I can get really good, but I'm going to get better. Now, I don't do that anymore because I'm in my senior year. I don't say you weren't shit last year, but you know what I do say? Because I self-assess all that. That's one of the things I learned from Morgan. He's the end of the year, think about what your plan is, write it down, and do it, and think about what you could have done better last year, write it down, and do something about it. And I, I do it. I follow it. I've always been like that, but I admit it's formal. He's formal about this stuff. And I, I do heard it. he
1: goes away and he goes away has and a ritual in the way that he does it. He goes
0: off every winter and every summer, and he recharges. And it's not just rest. It's It's like a meditative process, and, and great energy comes out of it in thoughts. But what I do now at the end of the year is I go, gosh, I wish I'd have figured this, this, and this out last year. What a difference that might have made. So it's not you, were, you, you weren't worth a dang last year. It's you figured some things out. I wish I'd have known them. And that keeps my fire burning on hot because I know I'm going to figure some more stuff out this year. I just figured one out that I'm going, man, I can't believe I have all these years I haven't figured this one out. So it keeps it going because it's a dynamic process. And that's one of the other things to the younger lawyers that I, I, I would say a yeah, couple things. The game's so fast when you're young. And you hear it in sports analogies. Of people come out of high school and they go, you know, they go play college football. And I've got a bunch of my buddies. I, I thought I was gonna gonna be the next greatest thing, and nobody wanted me. I was a really good high school player, but not I mean, good you enough. You'd think to go going next.
1: to Eustis High School, it would be you'd be destined for greatness.
0: But anyhow, but I know my friends that made it to the next level. Said, "Mittnick, you think it was hard then? It is so much. Fa- How many of you heard the game's so much faster to the freshmen? The guys that come out of college basketball, and they get to the pros, and they were superstars. And what do they say when they're they're a rookie? The game's so much faster. Our game's fast. Here's the good news. The game's going to slow down. Try some cases, it's going to slow down. And in the meantime, it ain't about being pretty. It's okay. But here's the really cool part. Here's what you have to look for. Because did isn't like, I will go try 10 cases and it'll slow down, and then that's that. I've dealt with the speed now. Because when you start to really get in full stride, it slows down. Like a scene from The Matrix and Neo, and you can see the bullets coming so slow. I can see I could do this or I could do that, and I think I'm going to do this, and it happens like that, and that's just cool.
1: That is a fun thought. Um, This is odd, but I, I care about this one. I know a lot of people they're afraid to ask this, but what advice would you give people about how to not screw up with money? I'm, I'm not talking specific stock advice, not that kind of thing, but, you know, lawyers typically, they they at some point in their career are going to experience plenty, and they're going to experience feast lack. Or
0: feast or famine. No question. It's the nature of our world. The best thing I can be is when you're in famine, I mean, when you're in feast, know there's a famine coming and and act accordingly. Don't spend it until you got so much that you know I can spend it and I'll be okay when the hard time comes. And the other thing is, some people, some lawyers just have good business sense and, and money sense. A lot of us don't. And my best advice is find someone that did.
1: I still believe in juries?
0: Oh, absolutely. No one's had a heartbroken any more than probably you and me about jurors because we try a lot of cases. Anybody who tries to let a case out, they they're heartbroken. But what else are we going to do? I know it's such an adage, it's the best system in the world. It is. I don't know what, look, I tell you what, I'd take a med mouth case and I'd try it in front of a panel of doctors all day long. If I could find unbiased doctors to try it, I can't. So I can come up with, in a vacuum, other better systems. They just don't work. So what's the best system? Keith, thank you so much. Thank you.
1: I hope you enjoyed uh, Keith's wisdom. He really is a gifted storyteller and communicator and is just generous with all of his wisdom. I always leave my conversations with Keith challenged to be more creative and bold. Our next guest is gonna be Ashby Pate and you will get to hear the story of how a, a kid from Alabama ended up as a justice in the Palau Supreme Court and then came back here to the United States to represent the state of Alabama in its litigation against uh, Judge Roy Moore. Ashby is a, a really, really cool guy. I think you'll enjoy the interview. Thanks.